0: All right, welcome to the Dadpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Oliveira. Today's guest has a really interesting background, and I think that uh, for those entrepreneurs who are happen to be parents, uh, moms or dads, and are considering leaving corporate America, we get a lot of guests who um, have done that and have started their own business or consulting, or they've gone back to school while working and trying to start their next chapter these are all hard things when you're a parent and so we we talk about that quite a bit here on the podcast our listeners know so ken he he he, once you start to hear his story um you're you're going to be inspired because ken went back to school to earn his phd while running the business you know working but also having a family his wife and two daughters so Ken, I wanna welcome you to the podcast. I think you're you're gonna be an inspiration to a lot of those uh, listeners out there who wanna go in that direction, but maybe are afraid. So we're gonna pick your brain on what were the, the the tough moments, but then what was on the other side as well. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you very much. And it, I'm so happy you guys reached out for me to be on here. And I, I, I do hope that some of the story that we can talk about from myself, kind of shows that anybody can just work hard and be gritty and get to where they want to go so that's what i hope to be kind of a role model of that but there was a lot of people that inspired me as well and and a lot of it comes from maybe some sports that i'm into so yeah it should be a very fun conversation absolutely
0: yeah i see there in the background the you have the luck brand and then you also have the motocross which you've been involved in automotive all those years so talk to me like go back way way back um what
1: was your first job Ever. My very first job was an equipment manager at a baseball diamond. Okay. So I just turned 16 and I played baseball my whole life. And I got a job doing like setting up the fields, lining them, uh, but hanging out with a lot of the kids that I played travel baseball with and travel wasn't that big. You play just like your normal little league, but then you'd have a team that might do three games in the summer. And so that's where it kind of started but shortly after that i started racing motocross and that became a real point of inspiration for me that was where i kind of stopped playing baseball and basketball and doing typical team sports to do more individual sport so that that was kind of a big transformation for me at a younger age that has still inspires me to this day there's a calling right yes yeah my dad told me in high school i remember him getting into an argument with me he's like Ken, you're going to outgrow motocross someday. And every time we get together, he sees my dirt bike or something that we're working on, or my daughter singing the anthem, these big events. I was like, see, dad, I never outgrew it, (laughs) you know, but, but he also enjoys it though now too. So it's pretty fun that I've been able to kind of blend my passions with my work.
0: I'm, I'm sure, you know, obviously you're a dad, I'm a dad. And those dads out there, moms too. It's probably, it probably more came from a safety standpoint, you know, uh, kicking the ball around or throwing it around is not as dangerous as motocross,
1: you know, you know, he wouldn't let me play football, but he would let me race motocross. So that was the, the thing. And I think, you know, I was so obsessed with the sport. Like there was something about it when I would watch it and watch those athletes mm-hmm. that just mesmerized. I mean, even if you, if you were to go back and look at the art that I drew when I was a kid, it was jacked up trucks, dirt bikes, tractors, snowmobiles. You know, my ma has like a this nice collection, likes to scrapbook, and every now and then she pulls them out and shows my daughter. So it I mean, this is from four or five years old years old drawing that type of stuff. So there's always it's always been there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's
0: it's a very interesting uh sport and it moves, you know, like so fast when you watch it on TV, them going through the you know, the little the little hills up and down and fast, and you're You know they're gassing it up, and then I don't even know how you control. I ride a bike, but I I I couldn't ride it like that, man. That's uh, it it must be a rush.
1: It's an unbelievable rush. But then when you see the athleticism, if you, so I did my first race this year in like 13 years. Like I really just started riding again this year. Okay. And my daughter happened to sing the national anthem at Unadilla Pro Motocross this summer in front of 30,000 people. And a couple of my buddies, we made the 12 hour trip to New York to watch the pros, but then ride the am- amateur day. And a couple of the top pros wanted to talk to my daughter who was singing the anthem. They were like, oh, that's super awesome. You're doing that. Like, I don't know how you do it. And they started talking to me about riding. They're like, oh, you're racing? Cause I'm almost 50. I said, yeah. I said, honestly, I've been watching you guys ride and just trying to learn the new technique of foot positioning and body weight. And there's a lot that's changed. I'm like, it's so frustrating at times. Because I'm a continuous improvement guy, so I'm watching you guys, and I said, it's like a calculus problem, trying to figure out how you're riding the bike and controlling it with your body, because mm. they're so fast. And so that athleticism, like it always, but it's one of the things I connected to my work, I always look at it and go, oh, so the risk I would do on the motocross track is the near as hard as it's talking about addressing an issue. And that's kind of how my passion in manufacturing came about, because I would always my risk assessment, I look and go, man, if I'm going to jump that, like, there's no way I can let this problem go on and not address it. When everybody knows that it's not the right thing, like, I always wanted to be the guy that was, hey, let's address the problem. Let's do the right thing here. Mm-hmm. Even if it's tough, we can figure it out. And then we never have an issue to deal with down the road. We don't have to skirt anything. So yeah, and I think yeah, that's kind of the- Motocross is my metaphor.
0: Yeah. And I love that that metaphor. I mean, honestly, even just picturing in my mind what it looks like it definitely lo- represents the, the the daily business operations of just about any business on a daily, you know? And all you can do is have really good systems in place and plan and have really good people, obviously a clear mission and all of that stuff. So I want to shift the conversation, Ken, a little bit, and I think it's going to be really good for our listeners. Um, inherently, most entrepreneurs, as you know, um, choose that path and when i say entrepreneur i think we need to define that for people not based on the spa definition of small business less than 500 employees no you know call it whatever you want small micro this the fact is that most small businesses are solopreneurs right one person team and um most people when i talk to entrepreneurs i've interviewed thousands and the reason they left corporate america or sold their company and went to start doing consulting is because they wanted freedom they wanted to take back their time they were tired of managing people and sometimes entrepreneurs want it both ways and and i'm guilty of that too like i want to grow but hold on i don't want to scale my team right now because people you know people management is tough it's just one component of business um but i think what has helped me in all the years ken and i share here on the podcast often is creating systems, whether I'm doing marketing, sales, whatever it is, putting systems in place and dialing it in, teaching it to people. And I think that that leads us to your you're your the expert in lean manufacturing. Um, most of our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with lean. We talk about agile systems here in the context of technology and marketing. But tell us about the lean system that you not only learned, but also created and then used for clients so that they can have the best outcomes.
1: So when I got out of college, lean was a a massive um, focus of a lot of companies and it's really a waste reduction and optimization. So you're looking at how do you minimize inventory? How do you run your equipment more efficient? How do you always improve? And lean gets a bad rap because it's had like upwards of 95 to 90% failure rate. Yeah, But I went to work for a company that was ran kind of by an icon that was at Chrysler, bought some GM buildings named Richard E. Dowk. Amazing guy. And that's kind of where, I mean, when I was younger, I was kind of a mediocre student, just trying to figure out what I wanted to, to do. And I met him in my first internship as an engineer. And his son was a West Point grad, Army Ranger, MIT grad, one of his sons. His other son was a marketing guy. They're both all really smart. All three of them are really smart. I mean, the juggernaut of a company would have been if they would have kept that together. The dad has since passed away. One mm-hmm. son runs a company I was at. The other ones went on to be CEO of Delphi. But they're they're amazing. But Rick, the one that I, I associated with, had a lot of these MIT grad. He went to MIT for his master. So he's bringing these MIT people. And this lean thing was, was getting a lot of attention. So I, mm-hmm. I started... Learning about it, reading about starting my master's, and it kind of became a focal point because a lot of the operations that we had had so much inefficiency, Mm -hmm. and those systems you talk about are the main thing to get it. But one of the problems with the waste reduction process is it's super discipline-based. You have to do what the system requires you to do, whether you really want to do it or not. Uh-huh. and that's where a lot of the the failures is either they did we didn't spend enough time putting it in. We didn't really look at all the users that were going to use it. So there were gaps. And then when that initial thing fails, when they try to deploy it, Oh, well it doesn't work here. You know, they don't, a lot of times they don't like to go back and go, okay, what were the points that made it painful? And let's take those things out. I mean, the Deming cycle, the plan, do check act that is kind of synonymous in any type of improvement planning, really the right way to go. But, one of the things that I learned in the, in the processes is, is that because it interacts with so many people, mm-hmm. I, I've kind of learned to coach people into, well, one, looking at, I, I assess, so I'm going to back up a little bit to what I studied was, I started realizing that you, there's indicators that tell you if it's not, if you're going to have a hard time deploying it. Okay. So I came up with a pre, pre-deployment assessment. And so I go in and look at a few different factors and I look at how robust those systems are that you use and how well you use them because they'll give us a good, I call the lean readiness multiplier to to then, then we look at what systems you say you want to do. And then all the people it's going to take to design the system to do it and kind of create in quick a, a maturity model that incorporates the difficulty multiplier and essentially is a, a lean deployment effort number. But, it, but I've been able to quantify it all into hours. Like this is how many hours it's going to take your team to do all your work. And this thing becomes a pretty astronomical number that a lot of times equates to more than a year's worth of work for people. So do your regular job, redesign all these systems. Just the redesign in itself really takes your team an enormous amount of time. So I've been able to kind of quantify it to help people see mm-hmm. what it will take to deploy the system. So then you don't try to ram it in for some someone that says, we got to do this. Yeah, you need to do it. But if you do it pragmatically and you look at the demand you're going to put on your team, now you make it a much more um, sizable bite uh-huh. to take to progress through it. Because we want to get to perfect ideal state. That's a key word in Lean is ideal state. We want to go right mm-hmm. to ideal state. Instead of saying, well, let's walk this thing in based on where we're at now, which you could have a lot of gaps in your systems and let's address those and walk it through. So there's a little bit there, but that's kind of how our process works. Yeah. And
0: I, I think um, it's interesting when you mentioned that it, it gets a bad rap because of the high failure rate. Um, it, I think we saw that in such a big way during COVID with, you know, logistics and supply chains disrupted where just in time manufacturing and all of that just wasn't wasn't working you know because i right. worked with many clients who they, they just couldn't get their product because they worked in that manner where they're shipping to an amazon warehouse and then it's going out and then when the pandemic really kind of hit its peak it just that's you, you you couldn't get enough product right and then we saw certain competitors that did everything in-house and some of them weren't using those systems. They, they could be using lean. I don't know. You never know what the competitor is using, but whatever they were doing, they were doing right. And my point to some of those clients that I was consulting with, especially the ones in manufacturing, I do the marketing side. So my job is much easier, you know, to just go go sell product. Um, was like, look, clearly they're in a space like yours. They have automated systems, you know, from end to end. How, how come they're taking market share from you? and that conversation sort of turns into like oh i don't want to use this system or that system anymore and i just i, I agree with you the, the 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 systems idea gets a bad rap and i think it's because most of us um, unlike you who are more on the operational side the, the 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 visionary of the companies sometimes you 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 don't want to spend time doing the work that you do which is Trying to see, you know, where you could find opportunities and fine tune and optimize because that that work is is hard. And it, I mean, obviously, it's taking you a lifetime to, um, you know, build what you have today. Uh, you know, you just can't go read a book or take a course and know how to do that. So I, I just I find it so valuable, which is why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Obviously, talk about dad life and juggling both, but also just talk about how um, incredibly uh, beneficial it could be. You know.
1: It is. And you know, the the company Luck Unlimited that that I started is based on the acronym for luck, laboring under complete knowledge. So laboring is doing hard things under as a state with a strategic plan to execute, essentially. So I had been told so many times I was lucky. And when you're talking about that, I have a ton of reps, like repetitions and doing improvement activities. And even when I I was thinking about preparing for this, because I love listening to podcasts, so I thought, you know what, I should try to do more. I have good experience. I like people. The whole purpose of both brands is to help people get better. But when I started supervising, I was working seven days a week, 12 hours a day. I was working at least 84 hours a week while I'm supervising people. like I'm just trying to drive improvements, whether it's scrap improvements, pieces per hour, whatever it was. And that's you know, meeting those people and then getting recognized, like, wow, a, a lot of times those leaders would come in to kind of fillet you. Cause they're like, all right, we're going to kind of kick this guy a little bit here and just show them that there's a lot to learn. And I kind of was doing things proactively. And so they come in and where'd all these scrap parts go? I'm like, well, I had this guy sort these and we organized them over here. And they're like, really? And it was like, this is, to me, it was so easy to see those opportunities. And I, I, I have a note that I made here because I heard Gary V. you know, Gary Vaynerchuk. Yes. He, he, I love listening to the guy, super passionate. Like I try to draw from anybody that I can learn. Absolutely. From I heard him getting on a guy telling him that he was the problem because his people, the guy was saying his people didn't work hard. And not that I don't agree that you don't improve as a leader, but I think the way that I looked at what Gary was saying, and I might've twisted it was I always took those as an opportunity. I might not own the business and I might not have an equity stake or I might not have any of that, but I'm gonna use the opportunity to under someone else's risk to learn how to run a business the best that I could. And so I worked for another company like it was Ken's company, hopefully to build up the habits that made me successful in business. And that's what I would tell anybody, just because it's not your business, don't go at it like it's not your business. Make every decision like you're looking at it from the the data and anything to improve it like it's your business. Because if you build 10 years of letting things slide, like you're going to have a long learning curve of changing your habits. So Mm -hmm. my habits have always been to go hard. Like I'm a big David Goggins guy. Like I love that grittiness, persevere through the pain. It's why I like to mountain bike, race, motocross. I mean, all these things that challenge my confidence. I like to put myself in that. But that's the thing. When I, when I hear people say that, I was always like, when I worked for somebody else, I worked like I was writing the checks to prepare myself to write the checks.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I recently had a guest on the podcast here. Well, I'm going to mention, I typically don't do this. Talk about another guest on this one, but it's so relevant to our conversation, Ken. So um, Chris Joyce, he's the uh, founder CEO of uh, Gusher, and it's a platform out there that does, you know, they help startups, like, instead of you doing crowdfunding or going to look for, you know, seed round and give up equity in your company, you do what is just in, he he describes it as um, uh, labor equity, right? So if, if you're a CMO level person, you you can go to one of the startups on the platform, take 1% of the equity and then really help them drive that strategy, right? Because the startup is, yeah. they're not at the level that they can afford C-level or executive level people, right? And and it's, it's interesting because um, like everything that you're talking about and obviously you own your own business, One thing that's struck me as um, uh, uh, sort of a uh, you guys have in common is he talked about on the platform, the majority of the successful business people, whether this is their first, second, third, you know, uh, round of starting up a, a new company, most of them have a background in sports or a passion for sports, even if they didn't play professionally, you know. And, um, right. so, so, you know, I, I read a lot of books by athletes and people like that, too. And I always think it's great, the metaphors and it's, you know, positive and different coaches. I mean, I remember re- re- reading a book by Rick Patino back like 20 something years ago, you know, success is by choice and not by chance. And that's stuck in my head. Um, so there's so much to draw from sports. Let me ask you, I mean, because you are in the sports world and in the business world, what do you think it is about those two that go hand in hand?
1: I think the thing, yeah, okay. What I think it is is, and motocross and football and hockey have been the areas that we, and partially because I love motocross, so that kind of helps that, but hockey and football are different because you have coaches that help you build processes like you talk about. So you get some discipline and you get some methodology that will help you get better. Mm -hmm. And there's a a really good hockey coach that I'm talking to a lot right now and working with him that he played professionally in Sweden. Um, He is a hard driving guy. And and I I like that a little bit. I like people that will be direct and say, this is what you got to do. But I, I said, here's the deal. Like when I got a dirt bike and I wanted to race, I went to the track and flailed through trying to get better. There was a guy named Brian Swink who was a top pro two-time Supercross champ that I met at my second race. And my dad is like, Ken, I don't know who this kid parked next to us is. He's like, but he is phenomenal. I'm like, well, okay. Cause I mean, I was slow. Like it was my <laughs> second. I mean, I thought I was going to go from getting a bike, riding a few times to the Pontiac Silverdome for Supercross. Oh man. This guy, Brian literally was transitioning from an amateur to a pro within the next six months. Won his first professional Supercross race. But he did, he kind of started giving me some pointers and stuff, but it was like seeing greatness. But in motocross, you do it on your own. These other sports, you have all these coaches. And I said, it's one of the few times that there's another man that's literally telling you everything they did wrong so that you don't repeat the mistake again so you can achieve your goal, whether it's to be a regional champ, a state champ, go play AAA hockey or make it to the NHL or be a pro. But it's so tough to get kids to receive that knowledge. Okay. You know, but that's what I see with sports is these these people get processes and disciplines. The ones that really succeed were the mm-hmm. ones that took all the things from these coaches, took the process and go, oh, if I want to be good in business, I got to standardize how I do things. What time I get up, that I maximize, there's 86,400 seconds in a day. How do I use those seconds? Now, I don't want people saying they should use all of them for work, right. but be deliberate with how you use your seconds. Absolutely. Take 480 of them and be laser focused on it. And I, I think, you know, there, there's something I heard about choices we have to make. Like we can be bad at things in life. We can be good at things in life, right? We can be average. And there's a lot of people content with being average and being mediocre. I feel like, you know, right now it's like, that's good enough. Or you can be excellent and elite. And to be at that high level, you need ultra-focus and special intensity on everything you do to be great. Those guys that succeed in business from sport, they did that. They were the excellent and elite guys that said, oh, I'm learning from all these people. They're literally sacrificing their time now to make me achieve some athletic goal. But it relates to business. As well, well, it sounds I think like compete.
0: Yeah, and it, it, it sounds like I know you said your daughter you know, uh, performed the national anthem. That's so cool. You know, hats off to you guys for that. So is that the, the, the way sort of you grew up and the challenges that you went through? Um, how do you pass that on to them?
1: You, so I, I had a, my grandfather was a World War II veteran and he was actually on Omaha Beach. on I actually had thought about grabbing. I got a 50 caliber projectile, like the lead. They pulled from the sand on Omaha Beach. So when I was fortunate, he made it through that super hardworking guy and influenced a lot of people. My dad was also athletic. And this is a great story that only family members have really heard. So he was soldier of the month. He got drafted during Vietnam wow. and it, he was in an airport and he's seen the higher ranking officer that he thought selected. him. he's like, Hey, I wanted to thank you for selecting me to be soldier of the month. And the guy looked him right in the eye and he says, you were the only one that showed up for the interview and walked away so my dad never knew, was he really the only guy that showed up? But you got to show up.
0: Yeah, half the battle is, you know, that's but, right.
1: You, you know, I've tried to create a bond with my daughters. And I do parent. I parent hard. And I just had this conversation with my oldest one's graduating this year. I said, Lily, I'm just trying to teach you to compete. I said, you can be in marketing. You can be a doctor. You don't have to go to college. Right. But. As a parent, your mom and I have done everything we could to teach you to be competitive and give 100% and have no regrets. That's the bottom line. You do that, you'll live a fulfilled life. You don't have to be like I did. I wanted to be a doctor because when we were pregnant, I remember going to the doctors and being in manufacturing. It's like it's like infantry of, of work a little bit. These doctors are so happy. And I thought, man, this is what I want my daughters to be like because I'm kind of battling unions and fighting people that don't want to fix things that are wrong and i thought man i want them to be doctors but the reality is i just wanted to be happy that's what i told her i said but i want you to compete and now she my oldest one and my youngest one my youngest one will be through calc two when she graduates high school which is pretty unique typically they do one calculus my daughters will go through two calculuses in college and my oldest one's going to be through three calculuses and linear algebra and differential equations like they're they've listened and they've received a lot of knowledge. Like you always see the, the faults that they do, but for the most part they've listened. And I think that's the big thing is I just try to spend quality time with them when I'm trying to do something to help them. Like some of them getting the Anthem is me and some of it is her performance. So, but that's, I just, you know, it's that time with them. Like, Part of that eighty six thousand four hundred is spending quality time with my kids, having mm-hmm. dinner with them, and talking about their day and what they're aspiring to be. And you know, I feel like you would do the same. Yeah, you know, abs- want to do a-
0: absolutely. But you know, it's 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 very challenging. I think for most parents now, we we covered that quite a bit here on the podcast, uh, Ken, about the the, the issues with you know smartphones, internet, social media, TikTok, and all of that. And I don't think there's any you know any one specific answer because i definitely am in the camp of you know those parents where we we've always limited um those those outside forces anyways uh not sheltered right it's not 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 at all what we do i think people get that wrong when we say well you know we haven't had cable television for i don't know like uh, 15 years um it's just not about that it's just where you spend your time and your energy and I think you lead by example you know as parents this is not throwing shade at anybody but you know if 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 you go out to dinner and you see a family and all four of them are on their smartphones again i'm not at all um trying to throw shade at anybody but it's like then you complain that you're not connecting with your kids but all four of you are sitting there staring at a screen and then you're scratching your heads going i don't i don't understand like you know so 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 for you give us a is there a tip or an advice that you would give to parents um to you know help your kids stay focused on their future uh rather than all the crap that the world tries to you know pull from them
1: yeah there is and i i think for parents that have worked and put themselves in a position where things are good I think one of them that I always try to tell my daughters is we live in a very rural area of Michigan, it's Alpena. So if I were to do the Michigan hand thing, we're up here. Okay, gotcha. And so our, our school area is very big, but it's very um, low income. Mm-hmm. And so I was on a school board for about two years to try to help out for a vacancy. And we had about... of our community was on free and reduced lunch, which means the income's low enough that 60% of our kids that go to school are on free and reduced lunch. So one, I tried to tell my daughters, I'm like, when you go to school, you don't know what other kids are facing, right? I said, so the other thing is, I'm not necessarily here to be your friend. Like, I wanna have a great time with you. I wanna enjoy every second with you. I want us to do things for our whole life together. I said, but I'm gonna redirect you when I think you're not going in the best direction to maximize because I maximize your output because I want you to maximize the value of your life, mm-hmm. what you contribute. And I want you to do things as efficiently as effective as possible. And I love that you brought up the phones because I'm starting, my daughters are are gonna run the social media for the apparel brand. Okay. So when they tell me they don't have time to do something, I'm like, let <laughs> me see your screen time. <laughs> and it's like, oh, like I don't get that anymore. Right. You know? We're we're starting to work where we kind of pulled back and we said, you know what, our apparel brand, we haven't done a great job of articulating the story of the brand. So we're taking the next month and we're kind of doing not a relaunch of it, but we're going to do a way better job of creating content that explains what the brand is and then also showcasing. And I said, you have so many young kids that you go to school with that are super gritty, hardworking kids. You should leverage them to help them show where they're trying to get to and use the luck brand as a tool to reinforce them to stay at it. It's the process. Like, you're never going to feel like you get there. Even when you get there, we went to a Red Wings game. And my daughter just loves the Hughes brothers. They're two kids. One went to Michigan, one didn't, but they're fantastic hockey players. And I was watching the opening ceremony, and they're, they're calling the players out, right? And then there's lasers and music, and they play for the New Jersey Devils, too, but they're from Michigan. Okay. So the crowd's half full of Hughes Brothers fans. And I thought, like, if you if the kids that play hockey could really see what it's like when they get there, really bring that in. It would help keep you disciplined because I take discipline over motivation every day. And that's what I tell my daughters. I'm like, if you want to be successful, you got to be disciplined. And maybe that's a point for a parent is be disciplined. You got to do what you don't want to do. Like you love doing it. I have to agree with you on that. You want like you have to fight through that. So today was actually my 200 straight day of working out. I had, I just was like, you know what? No excuses. David Goggins, I'm going to work out every day, every single day. And maybe days are flexibility days. Maybe every day is not a high endurance, high intensity workout day. But, you know, I try to lead by example with them on doing things. But that's, you know, the points for the parents. I'm trying, you try to teach your kids to be disciplined and do the things. Because so ultimately, you know, my kids are getting to a point where I'm going to have about four years and they're going to be fully on their own. They can do whatever they want. And so, I think that's the thing is trying to teach them those things in a way. And, and even you probably know it's tough sometimes to not just say, just do it like this. Right. Like, just <laughs> it's like, okay. You don't understand why, like there, there are times people don't know, people don't want to do it. And then sometimes they don't understand what to do it. And I got to, I forget sometimes myself that they're only 14 and 17. They haven't seen everything yet. So I got to walk myself. Okay. They don't know. Let's walk through this. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing because when they really see that you're trying to make them better, it does make it more digestible or palatable.
0: Yeah. No, I love it. I mean, I, I I think everything that you're doing, uh, Ken is, you know, is a story about so like my my big takeaway is how you took, you know, sports, uh, lean and business, and you've kind of wrapped it all into one. So that you could be the, the best dad, the best businessman, you know, um, and all of that. And that's admirable. And so we're, you know, just so happy to have you here and talk to us. And we'll we'll follow the brand and see where it goes. I'll definitely share, um, uh, we'll, we'll share all your information in the podcast show notes. Um, I know you got a lot of cool content coming up in 2024. But for those who want to check out all the work that you're doing right now, what's the best website for them to go to?
1: Luckunlimited.org is the consulting site. Okay. So LuckUnlimitedApparel.com is the apparel site. And then the main Instagram we use is Luck Unlimited Apparel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um we're, we're Luck Unlimited on Twitter, but Luck Unlimited Apparel Instagram is probably the one where we're doing the most. Okay. Right now.
0: And and before we wrap it up, any advice or insight that you want to share with our listeners? For 2024, I mean we're almost at the end of the year
1: here. So Well, don't start waiting to work on 2024 till 2024. So <laughs> if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. I mean, that's kind of the thing where we where we're at right now is just trying to prepare and, and see what new goals we want to put in place and how we're gonna to work towards that. So and, and it is honestly, I'm I'm intrigued by the marketing side because as a STEM nerd that loves sports, like I would always look at the marketing guys and be like, those guys are just playing golf and doing all this fun (laughs) stuff. We're here in the place working. But now that we're trying to get this, we're working on launching this apparel thing and inspiring other people. You know, actually I think it's super cool. Like it's a super cool area to be in. And the inspirational side to me is I I think the coolest, but the other thing is, is if someone has an inspirational story that they want to get out, Part of the brand is to show just real gritty hardworking people fighting through the process, doing the things they don't want to do like they loved doing them to get where they want to go. Because as you know, success isn't easy.
0: No. And it's no. a
1: never-ending battle.
0: Or 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 you know, even just like you were saying before, just make it where it's sustainable. You know, it's yeah, it's grinding. And I I agree with you, though. Big takeaway, discipline, discipline over. Just about anything else that slow and steady work, I think most of our listeners who are entrepreneurs, moms, dads, the ones doing side hustles, they get it it's that that that's it It's a daily you, you it's like you it's not like building a muscle right and you were just saying like you worked out 200 days straight. that's it like if you if you right. took like three, four days off every week, you wouldn't be in the shape that you're in. Um, which then wouldn't help you in all the other things, so it's been such a good conversation. Uh, I appreciate you being on the podcast and we'll we'll look forward to having you back sometime.